From far beyond the galaxies, I've journeyed to this place to study the behavior patterns of the human race. Oh. And I find them highly illogical. Coming to you from upstate New York, in front of a live studio audience, it's the Blood and Black Run Podcast with your hosts, Ryan and Martin. In today's episode... Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We're on episode 34 now. You said you wanted us to start doing this, uh, start naming all the, the episodes right away. Yeah. Probably, it's it, it, it makes it seem like, uh, you know, we're, we're really something. Yeah. We're up to 35 episodes. Well, we're... Older than I am. <laughs> not by much not by much no no i'm getting old <laughs> is basically what you're saying there but uh i'm ryan from the moosedworld.net and uh i am joined by my co-host martin how's it going who says that in the introduction to this episode i didn't enunciate his name properly uh, so you didn't you didn't there was a time where we almost didn't put the applause in front <laughs> of his name or be, after his name and it would only just be after my name well, what do you mean the applause it's a live audience oh that's true yeah that's right yes everybody oh oh they're all quiet right now the sign's not on (laughs) they don't know when to clap so today we are covering something that we've been hinting at for quite a while um it actually falls into uh the previous uh podcast episodes that we did which was in the jeff goldblum month with the goldblumian factor Mm mm-hmm um, this one, this movie also star. Well, doesn't star. I, I I won't say star, but he's in it quite, quite a bit. Um, more than cats and dogs, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More prominent. Well, yeah, a little bit. And and t- surprisingly, we watched the trailer before this, uh, before we started the podcast to kind of get a uh, some sound clips from it. And Jeff Goldblum does not get a uh, any credit at all in the in the trailer. Well, he wasn't big yet. He wasn't big, world, but still, the, the I mean, the world he, did not yet know. He does have a rather large part for not getting a credit in the trailer. Well, you know, it's funny too. It's just like kind of how when you look at this film, how it's like marketed compared to today. As I was joking with you while we were watching the film, which is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We're never actually. <laughs> I mean, during this in, in the introduction, we said it, but but not here. So Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Uh, you know, we forgot to say. 1978. Yeah, 1978 version, not the 50s version. This is the updated one, so we didn't have to watch it in black and white. Black and white. So, but anyhow, when I was joking with you watching it, if this was made today, it wouldn't be starring Donald Sutherland. Yeah. It'd be starring Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Who is a supporting character, but that's because people know Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, in this actually. In the credits, he gets an and Leonard Nimoy, which yeah. makes sense in this in this film. No, it does because he has a supporting because he has a supporting role, and yes, he is a prominent figure. Most people know him pretty well, so seeing his name at the at the end with the and really makes him stand out. It's like oh, and Leonard Nimoy, or like like if you watch like uh, 
Another like sophisticated film, and Max von Sydow. It's like Max yeah. von Sydow. I mean, that's how I would assume if if like a dude was reading the credits, he would be like Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Adams uh, Jeff Goldblum, and Leonard Nimoy. Uh, that's how. That's how. That's how I feel like and is supposed to be read when you're in the credits. But now a lot of the times they use and, and it's like either the dude is in it for like literally two minutes. Well, no, not even. Not, they don't even use and anymore for. Sometimes. Barely. Like, well, as I say, like, kind of going back to our making fun of the turd that is Suicide Squad, mm-hmm. Jared Leto gets top billing. Top billing. And he's and, in it for yeah, 10 minutes. Yeah, he's in it for 10 minutes there. So. Because <laughs> they, they're selling it out, they're selling the film like the Joker's in it. Yeah. You know, oh, we, yeah. When he's not, when if, you know, if it was made, everybody, in, the se- everybody, was made in the 70s, it would be and Jared Leto. Everybody knew that Jared Leto mailed, you know, used condoms to his his uh, <laughs> other cast members. So it's like, well, we got to put him in front of Billy. <laughs> the dude mailed used condoms to his cast members. I mean, we can't really not put him in front of Billy and excuse that for whatever reason. I mean, it's got not, not really acceptable in normal society. But Jared Leto playing Joker is cool. It's cool. Did he really do it? Yeah, he really did. Yeah. That, anal beads. <laughs> I'm not joking. Look it up. That's not... That's not... I wish... I, I kind of wish I was joking about that, but I'm not joking about method that. Method acting as... Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. That's like taking method acting to the streams. Like, yeah, I raped that person, but, you know... I method. wanted the full... Method! <laughs> I wanted the full experience so I could get in the role that I'm playing. Exactly. It's like... He had to go You're, hang out in strip clubs and pimp out women. Your move, Meryl Streep. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, so Leonard Nimoy's in this. Um, does have a supporting role, but it's surprising that he actually does have so much of a of a part in this. Because I was really expecting him to show up for like five minutes or something and be like Leonard Nimoy for five minutes. Because I've never seen this movie before. Have you? Nope. Nope. I've never seen it before. I know about it. I have seen the original a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I haven't watched it in a long time, but they, yeah. I, they used to always play it on TV. Oh, yeah, yeah. That always would get on, on TV. I don't remember Invasion of the Body Snatcher, the, the remake, this remake, ever really being on TV or anything, though. I know. Not that I can think of. No. Because, I mean, that would be, like, when I was younger, these would be, would be the types of films that I would be catching on TV, like... Um, Halloween and, and... Which is weird when you think about because yeah. this is heralded as one of the... Like a top, like, you know, top tier horror film. Top tier horror film, film, uh, one of the better remakes. That's, yep. Um, you know, it's kind of like... A remake done, you know, right. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing. Yes. Where it's, um, you know, he certainly has an appreciation for the original material, but then he's also really amping it up a little bit and And, changing it for the time period. And and this is, that's the same for this, this film. And and building on it, like, because again, uh, the original is only like... 85 minutes long. Oh, yeah. This well, two, and this is two hours. Same thing with, like, the th- yeah. thing and, uh, you know, the thing from another world. Because, you know, 50s films are, you know. I mean, and, yeah, it's pretty you know. traditional. You know, some of them don't crack 60. So, that's that's a pretty traditional thing to have them be, you know, shorter. And this one do- definitely does use all of its two hours. Um, to the fullest. Yeah, to the full, full extent. So, um, but I, I did, you know, I do see how this one is. It is a heralded horror film uh, within the genre, especially with the with the remake, um, because I do think it it sits in in a similar style to John Carpenter's work in general. 
in general, this is a similar style of film. I wouldn't be super surprised if someone like said, "Oh, I think John Carpenter directed this," because it really does kind and of that's, feel that's, like that, it. That's how I felt. Yeah, as I was just say, like if I, you know, if I yeah. no, pay attention to the opening credits, where it says Phil Kaufman directed. Yeah. I'd be like with the score and the way oh. it's like shot and looks. I'd be like, yeah, this like you, a- could, you could see like like this is like a Carpenter. Film. I was definitely getting shades of that throughout the whole thing. I mean, there. And I don't. I I want to talk about the soundtrack a little bit later, but um, there's a part where, and the soundtrack's really kind of all over the place. It's very different through and dynamic throughout the film. But um, there's one part where it's kind of got that uh, synth synth like piercing score, like ding ding ding. It's, it's like right out of it's, Halloween or Psycho, yeah. like right out of those films. Um, so yeah, that's just another way that it feels like a John Carpenter film. Um, but I would say even the way that things are shot and the the time period in and everything about it, the direction from Philip Kaufman really feels like a Carpenter film. I, I I was watching it and just kind of blown away by how much it felt like one. And that's I mean that's a good thing. I'm not I'm not saying that that's like you know no one should strive to copy John Carpenter. Definitely definitely you know you want to. That's something that you you want to do. Well, as I say, he wouldn't have been uh, copying him at yeah, that not, point. Yeah, not really. At, by, at that, by that point, because it's, you know, only 1978. It was 1978. But, you know, I, I still, you know, with John Carpenter being the, the uh, you know, the be- better known director, certainly feels like it's, it's right out of his same playbook. But, yes, you're pointing out, that Philip Kaufman is known for Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, and most actually all of the Indiana Jones films as a writer. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, was, I knew as Lucas. I knew Lucas had somebody else write with him, but I never really paid attention to who. Because, well, actually, the Indiana Jones is actually based on his its character, Indiana Jones. Hmm. I think they're they're listing him as like the create like a creator of the character, not so much that he worked on the film itself. But Raiders of the Lost Ark, he did. So, um, he he did write that one. But then, later on, as you see, you know, they have to credit him. Like, oh, you know, Indiana Jones, creation, mm-hmm. you know, by Philip Kaufman. But, so that's the one that he's most known for. So, well, you know. It's a good thing he didn't really have anything to do with uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. He dodged that bullet. Yes, he did. <laughs> he just had to have his name on there because... <laughs> Of the characters, but um, I mean, yeah, like that's a pretty good back to back, though. Really, directing Invasion of the Body Snatchers, nineteen seventy eight. Then pretty pretty far after, pretty soon after that, you've got Raiders of the Lost Ark being made, and really, again, cinematic history. Yeah. So yeah. it's pretty good, pretty good for Philip Kaufman. Applause there. Um, well, as I say, it's like you can say that's like uh, Lucas. Lucas did Star Wars, and Indiana Jones, and there you go. Yeah. Granted, I like um, his earlier works too. I like when he actually still directed. It was like mm-hmm. American Graffiti. I like a lot, and THX eleven thirty eight is fantastic too. But you know, nobody ever re- you know. I mean, people who like know more about you know film would like point those out. But for the most part, you know, Lucas has, you know, made his billions off of like, I got, I got Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Yeah. I didn't even direct Indiana Jones. I had Spielberg do that shit for me. Because I didn't feel like doing it. That's true. <laughs> and he didn't direct the other, um, he didn't direct Empire or Return. 
He just didn't direct a New Hope in the prequels. Yep. Uh, is there anything you want to say about Endangered Body Snatchers before we kind of take a break on the film itself and head into our, our drinking territory? No, let's just get into the drinking. Let's get into the drinking. So it's not all disjointed. Yeah, I don't want it to be all disheveled. I, you know, we want to actually have some semblance of a cohesive thought. Yeah, I know. Because, like, with Suicide Squad, that certainly was all over the place. And and I blame the film on that. <laughs> blame the film. It was lucid thinking and critique. That's on that. right. I I blame the film on that one. So so it's their fault. It's, uh, it's wouldn't you David love? Fault. Wouldn't you love to like watch or read a review like Roger Ebert like reviewing a film and then just like talking about something and like the next sentence jump to something else and this is fucking terrible. Like just jumping all around because he's like I can't like can't even fucking think you know. Gather my thoughts. Yep. I get paid to gather my thoughts and put it to print, and I, I can't even do that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into our, our, our beer discussion here. Okay. You want to start it? Or you want me to start it? You usually start it. All right. I'll start it. Um, we're, even though it's only, you know, the late, the tail end of August, the Oktoberfests are out in full force. And you know that because we had Jenny last time, Jenny Oktoberfest. Um, and normally we, I kind of like to stay away from Oktoberfest, but I can't help myself. I see it. I see these packs and I just get so excited because Oktoberfest is one of my favorite beers. So I got to buy it. And that helps that it was for the first time. It's been days, a little bit cooler. It was a little bit cooler. Now it's back to fucking yeah, except 90, it's getting, 90 yeah, and now, humid again. Now again, it's getting balls hot, <laughs> which I did. I dislike today was super weird because this morning it was like 50 degrees outside. And I wore a jacket to work because I want to wear my new bomber jacket because it's cool. <laughs> but then it got to be like 87 degrees outside when you get right. out of work. And you're like, fuck this. I want to wear my bomber jacket. <laughs> I want to wear my nice little sweaters. I want to wear my, my uh, you know, cardigan sweater like Donald Sutherland in Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's what I. That's what I want. It's time for that. It's not. Let's let's get away no. from this well, heat look. wave. Well, no, it's not time for it. It's, it's still, not time. I know. Still late August. I'm, I'm trying to force it to be time. We're gonna get, you know, sl- slammed with snow this winter anyway, according to the Farmer's Almanac. So, well, we're overdue. We didn't get any. Bring snow. it on. We didn't get what any, I said. I say we didn't get any snow this last year. So, we're gonna be like the the mailman and Hey Arnold. <laughs> I hate the snow. <laughs> I hate the rain. I hate the sling, and I hate the snow. <laughs> That's going to be me. But anyway, uh, so I was like looking at Oktoberfest because we had a party to go to this uh, past weekend. Uh, it's a family reunion. Not my family reunion. Not Martin's family reunion. Uh, part, part of his family. But it uh, just happens to be there. But um, no, it's, 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 we do it every year, and it's one of our friends who has a, a nice family reunion get-together. And of course, there's always competitive volleyball there. And I am... One for competitive volleyball. And I'm also one for drinking. And that's basically a day to drink and play volleyball. It's perfect. Twist your ankle and you're not going to feel it because you've been drinking and playing. That's right. Martin, unfortunately, missed a lot of it because he had to work. Yeah. And then he had to leave because he had to work the next day. I know. Stupid. Sucky. I know. You're supposed to take it off, but... Well, I'm saving my vacation time. I don't burn it all. Willy-nilly. Oh, you should. I do. (laughs) I do. But anyway, so uh, I picked up Saranac's uh, Fall Pack, and as you can know from the times that, like, every single episode that we've 
we've listened to. <laughs> you've listened to. Uh, we are always talking about Saranac because we love Saranac. It's a, it's a great brewery, great localish brewery around here, and uh, they have a really great fall pack this year. Um, you, sometimes we complain about like the this this packs and what you get in the packs and how they're not very different and you know IPAs are all the rage and what fucking this and that yeah shove, yeah, shove a legacy IPA like I'm surprised actually with this they, right. they didn't do that yeah, they didn't and Sam's didn't do it either for their for their uh, fall pack either they didn't shove a fucking IPA in there like hey it's your fall pack you know what you think of fall a rebel IPA IPA <laughs> nope but uh, there is no IPA in the Saranac fall pack. What it is, is basically a lot of German-style beers, which is perfect for Oktoberfest. It's great. So, they include their regular traditional Oktoberfest, which I really enjoy. I like their Oktoberfest quite a bit. It's delicious. Um, then they also include a Marzenfest, which, as you know, Oktoberfest is a Marzen-style beer. But the Marzenfest is a little bit different. It's kind of an Oktoberfest. Um, but it's, it's, it's a, it's just slightly different. It's got a little bit different malts in it. It's, um, got light and dark Munich malts and that is kind of made, it's, it's a little bit maltier, I would say, than their, their regular Oktoberfest, but it's not as malty and dark as their Darktoberfest. So it's a nice balance between the Oktoberfest and the Darktoberfest. But their Darktoberfest is in back this year. And actually, I want to try... Oh, fuck. You finished yours off. I was going <laughs> to I was gonna try them both at the same time to see... Well, why don't you go grab another one? Uh, because then I got to go grab it and we're on... We're live. Live studio audience, man. So you're going to go grab it. Yeah. All right. You're going to ditch me while I'm recording. Anyway, um, so this is a Marzenfest... Uh, a little bit different. It's a Bavarian style lager, and I really like this one too. And you can't go wrong with two two Oktoberfest style beers in a pack. I mean, definitely can't go wrong. Um, there's also a um, the Black Forest, which is a a dark um, beer that Saranac has had in the past, um, but they really have not. Uh, had it recently and i feel like it was was the was the black forest discontinued for a little while no it's one of their staple beers i read on um untapped that it, that it was discontinued yeah see august 10th 2015 saranac black forest was discontinued i did not know that yeah i didn't either but that's, I, I, that's, that's what i, I say because their black forest is like one of my favorite beers yeah so uh, they, but they've included it now again in this in this new pack uh, and it's really good. It's a Schwarzbier style. Um, you like it a lot. Like, Black Forest is one of your favorites. It's great. It's a black lager. It's delicious. I really like it as well. I would say not as much as, like, an Oktoberfest. I would honestly like to... Um, I wish that they had included their Darktoberfest in this pack. So you've got an Oktoberfest, the Marzenfest... And then the Darktoberfest. That would have been a perfect collection for me. That's all I need. Yeah. Those three beers and give me 12 of them. That's <laughs> it. But I, I do enjoy the Black Forest as well. So not a, not a huge deal. But, but um, you know, I would have liked that one as well. The last beer that they include, because they do have four in this pack, um, is, <coughs> a, is a Keller beer. And that's another German-style beer. It's kind of like a light lager, a light uh, German-style lager. Um, and, and it's unfiltered as well. And I like that one a lot too. You tried that one when, yep. uh, when you were at the party. Yeah. What'd, it's you, a, what'd you think? It's, uh, very malty. 
uh, like I said, it reminds me like a multier version of their Adirondack Lager mm-hmm. or yeah, or like a Sam's Boston. Yeah, is what I like is like the most comparable thing to it. So it was very good. Um, it'd be nice to see it like around as like an all year because it's mm. very nice, refreshing, and you can drink it like in the summer. You can drink it in the winter. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's, this is a great pack. I'll be honest with you. I love this pack. I love this pack. This is probably one of my favorite Saranac packs that they've ever put. I'm out. surprised nobody's like done this before. I mean, at least that. To my, I'm sure there's yeah, like like, first... like do a lot of different combina- like different styles of Oktoberfest, like, just like to, yeah, uh, different Mars. And, yeah. Yep. I, I think it's a good idea. I, I would like to see way more of those. Yeah, I mean, because their October Saranac's Oktoberfest is more like a traditional Oktoberfest. Yeah. It's not. It's not anywhere near as multi as like an American style Oktoberfest, like a Sam's or a. That's uh, where more like the Darktoberfest is, but that's even a little bit more multier. And the, mm, but, yeah, and then but the Marzen one is very much like an American Oktoberfest. So it's yeah, it's great that you get like you know yeah all the different takes because I love all the different takes on like an Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Bring on more variations. What I say, the hell with the IPA. You know yeah. I, Oktoberfest are my favorite though, so I, I really love them. But give me a drum roll because I'm gonna try both of these. I'm gonna try the Marsden Fest and the Oktoberfest back to back and see how they rate. So here we go. This is the Oktoberfest first. Okay, very good, malty. All right, let's try this one. I'm gonna say it's it's maltier and maybe a little sweeter. Mars in one. Yeah, give it a shot. You try it now. My drum roll's way better than yours. Yours was a sad, sad drum roll of a guy who doesn't move his wrists very well because <laughs> of arthritis of the masturbation. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely maltier, maltier. Mars Fest is maltier. Yeah, I do, and I do like it because it's like got these like hipstery drawings on it. Yours oh, has, yeah. yours has Mine's like a, got a dude. With, I know a, a hipster man. White of <laughs> Mars Fest, just like it's basically like two feet of Mars Fest beers that he's carrying. And mine's your traditional Bavarian lady carrying. She's the problem with that one though is carry, she's just not busty. You don't know. It's at a, it's at a regular angle. Maybe if you took but, it at but the where, maybe if it was at the no side. Cleavage oh. marking. Oh, like the, her cleavage is not showing. Oh, I'm sorry. Is her hair not blonde enough for you either? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. No, actually, I like that she has like the shorter hair on there. Like she has shorter bob rather than like you know pulled back in like a traditional ponytail or whatever. Oh my god. She's got how many? Six beers? Yeah, she's got three stars. This in dude's each my favorite, I guess, because he's got like 12. <laughs> he looks like after he drops off that flame. Ah, he's got 11. That, what, really? 11? Two, three, four, five, that's six, a, seven. Th- that's eight, what's called. 11. 11? What the? That's what's called a drunk's dozen. You take one out of the 12 for yourself. That's true. I guess I, this guy knows what he's doing then. Probably it's like in his chest hair or something. He, he probably stuck He one looks in there. like after he drops off that flight of beer, he's gonna go like chop some wood. Yeah, probably. And then make some like gore, like uh, make gourmet cheese. I think plate. he does everything at the brewery. I think he serves the beer. I think he makes the beer. Cures meat. I think he chops the wood to, you know, make the fire. 
<laughs> which heats the beer to its proper temperature to get rid of any bacteria. I think he's probably a chemist. I'm going to go with everything. He does everything. This guy. And that's his wench. <laughs> oh my god. I'm joking. I'm joking. Alright, alright, come on. Come on. Come on, stop getting us off track here. What the hell? Let's get on to... What am I doing in my life? What are you doing? We gotta get to Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. Alright. Alright. Let's get it. Let's let's do it then. Alright. Start us off. Alright, so. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. 1978 film from Philip Kaufman. As we talked about a little bit earlier. It is about um, a Department of Public Health worker... And his, uh, like, biologist uh, co-worker who discover that people seem to be changing around them. And they're not changing for the better. They're changing into emotionless husks of the people they once were. And um, these characters uh, then try to change other people into emotionless husks who have no you know no real emotions whatsoever they don't they don't love anything they don't even really seem to care about their surroundings they're basically only concerned with crafting more people into these pod people does that sound like a good rundown of the plot there yeah I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. So Donald Sutherland plays um, Matthew Benell. That's B-E-N-N-E-L-L. As he spells it Benel. like four times. Benel. Four times in the in the film itself. Um, right? I mean, that he spells it quite a bit yeah. on the film. I was, <laughs> I was laughing too because uh, Jeff Goldblum plays... Uh, Jack Belichick. And it was just making me think of like GTA, like uh, Nico Bellic. Yeah. it looks like, you know, because... Um, I remember reading somewhere, like, they did, like, all the, uh, Serbian stuff that they, uh, say in, uh, GTA 4 apparently is, like, terribly wrong. <laughs> like, it's supposed to say, it's, like, if it's Serbian, it, like, it's not supposed to be Belich, it's supposed to be, like, Belich, like, like. Uh, with the actual, like, like CH sound effect. Like, like So uh, they didn't understand, like, their actual letter pronunciations. Yeah. So that's what I was, like, kind of reminding me of when I, saw, when I saw, like, Goldblum's name. Was, like, so. His name is Jack Belich, huh? So is it supposed to be Belichech? I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but it doesn't really matter. They call him Jack Belichick, and uh, that's all we need to know about him. <laughs> Just kidding. Jeff Goldblum, um, he plays the friend of the Department of Public Health Inspector Matthew, um, and uh, he's uh, he, he kind of gets a, a bigger part later on in the film as we meet uh, Leonard Nimoy's character, uh, who is Dr. David Kibner, and he's kind of the guy who everybody's been going to as a psychiatrist and saying, hey, my, you know, my my uh, significant other, they don't really seem like they used to. They seem a little bit different. And Leonard Nimoy is kind of called in by uh, Benel because... Um, he's well, he's um, not just because he's a uh, professional, but he's, uh, to, to, uh, he's also speaking for his book. And but, but, but he also work. seems like uh, comes across as... Uh, like a confidant, like yeah, yeah like he, a good friend of Benel, because he yeah, because he goes to him and uh, Benel does constantly throughout the film. Yeah, goes to Nimoy like, to like a good friend, and it seems like they have like some sort of professional and personal relationship mm-hmm. together. Um, so because Elizabeth Driscoll, who's played by Brooke Adams, uh, and it's uh, Benel's you know coworker slash kind of love interest, they kind of have a thing going on, even though. You know, 
Elizabeth is technically dating someone else. Um, Jeffrey with a Jeffrey G. with a G and two Fs. Sophisticated. That's a cool name. I mean, that's a dentist name, which is what he is. <laughs> but uh, uh, so Elizabeth, she's been noticing that Jeffrey is not the same person. He's you know normally he's a uh, kind of a douchebag who <laughs> drinks beer, watches basketball, and won't pick up the mail from the floor. But now he seems to just not talk to her at all. So he's still that douchebag asshole guy. He just doesn't respond at all when Elizabeth talks to him. So Elizabeth goes to you know her good friend at work, Benel, and she says, you know. He's acting weird. He's acting funny. And, you know, Ben Allen and Donald Sutherland is great in this, in this character, I think. I think he's, he's, he plays it pretty well. What do you think? No, I agree. I think everyone, uh, all the main players. Yeah, I think they're really good. Everyone is really good in this. But in particularly, I really like at the beginning of the film how Donald Sutherland portrays Ben Allen because he's kind of like a house character almost. You know, like, like Dr. House. <laughs> he, like... At the beginning, you know, we kind of see him in action when he's he's in his Department of Public Health uh, inspector role, and he's going into some uh, French. French kitchen and you know finding rat turds in somebody's in their soup. And I I kind of really like that initial encounter that we get with him because he just comes off like yeah like a like a Doctor House character, just super eccentric, like totally obsessed with this job i know which is like a weird thing to like when you think about it he's like really gung-ho about his job he's like obsessed to the point where i thought like maybe he put that rat turd there on purpose like it was it was already (laughs) in his tweezers like like, i've been trying to nail these fucks for two years (laughs) and damn it i'll play an evidence if i have to that's right i'm gonna play i'm gonna be i'm gonna play risky but we're gonna get him (laughs) shut down I honestly thought that that was the case until, you know, then I was like, oh, no, he's a good guy. <laughs> we we, were, we shouldn't be rooting against him that he, you know, planted evidence and got <laughs> this place shut down. But anyway, I really like how he plays that in the beginning because he's really personable. Um, when you when no. you meet both Benel and Elizabeth. I was going to say, not only that. Yeah. They have some chemistry. The, yeah, they do. But I was going to say, not only that, um, yes, he's very personable and does come off as quirky but he, he does at the same time come off as somebody you can totally relate to because when Elizabeth starts telling him about what she uh, how she thinks you know Jeff's. Jeff is acting weird he's like you're full of shit yeah he's <laughs> he, like he yeah. doesn't, doesn't believe her he blows it off yeah he's like he's like oh you know she's like what should I do and she's like kick him out he's like, <laughs> he's like get rid of him and then she's she, she says, "Oh, but uh, he owns the house." And she's, he's like, "Buy it off him." You know, he has these like <laughs> really like blunt, point blank responses to all of her, you know, all of her suggestions. So, uh, but I really like that uh, initial part. I think they have some great chemistry. And in fact, uh, the entire first, you know, probably first and second act of Invasion of the Body Snatchers is my favorite. I really like that part of the film a lot. Um, Where it's just building the characters. It's, it's just building. Yep, it's just building up the characters, how they react to um, this new type of situation, how Elizabeth kind of takes Benel through the, you know, first through, he, he's kind of like 
refusing to accept what she's telling him. And then eventually they get more information and he kind of sees, oh, okay, well, maybe people are acting a little bit weird. And then eventually he becomes, you know, he actually sees a, a pod person as they're being birthed, so to speak. So I like that. I like the paranoia inherent in that. And um, I think that Kaufman does a great job with the direction uh, in that respect. Because, you know, I in the beginning when there's, you know, there's a question of who is a pod person and who's not. Um, there is some uh, some good tension uh, when you're you you see certain scenes and then you notice that people are acting strange within those scenes. You know, as the as the extras in the scenes are kind of just not just not acting normal. Did you catch that one scene where they're in the lab and they're walking down the hallway and just a guy is standing at the doorway, just staring out at them, standing at the doorway? Mm-hmm. kind yeah. of like just like peeping out and it's a really quick scene it's really you know they just walk by no attention's drawn to that at all i mean you just have to catch it or you don't well and the same thing too when she, uh, you have elizabeth lee leaving the lab and she get like exits the lab and goes into the hallway she bumps into the man he just yeah and he just kind of yeah looks, it's in that same scene yeah and, he, and that they do pay attention to and what you and you see him just kind of slightly look and then just keep you know keeps going forward like he just didn't, you know, pay any mind to it. Yeah. Like, Sorry. And he didn't say anything. He just, you know, kept, kept walking. I like that because I think that in the same sense as what, uh, John Carpenter did with the thing, there's always, especially in the, the first part of the film, there's always that, that sort of tense paranoia of like, like, well, who, who is one and how do we de- 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 decipher them from just a regular person? Are they just strange or are they actually a pod person? You know, you don't know. And I, I really like that aspect of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I think that works here more so than it even did in that the original film. Yeah, I, th- I think um, this film, I think with the longer runtime, mm-hmm. uses it to great effect. It builds the paranoia Oh yeah, in such a brilliant way. It's like... As I said before, talking about like horror films, when it comes to me liking horror films, I like the more psycho like this psychological. Not saying like Abby Smart, cerebral, <laughs> cerebral. Yes, um, that you like that. Like there's a certain tension. They're not trying to just go like jump scare. Like ooh, here's something shocking. It's just slowly, you know, building to that to that point where like. The tension's going to become palpable, and then when it finally, you know, reveals what's supposed to be the horror and the scare, it's going to mean, you know, a lot more. So, yeah, it's this film spends a great deal of time building that paranoia. Then, by getting to know the characters, then you kind of get to see like how are they acting, how are they, how is their character changing from what they were to the paranoia that they're suffering from. And, yeah, and not only that, and then when like you start to like. See, like, the pod, you know, people changing into pod people. They're not just right away showing, like, a pod person being born. It's mm. something, like, it's, you know, cu- cuts away. Yeah. Or it's done behind a door. Yeah, there's and that. So, and so they leave it up to your imagination. They leave it, they leave it out. So it, when they do finally get to that point of revealing it, it's going to be that much more impactful and that much more, like, oh, my God. Yeah, there's that great uh, moment in the beginning of the film after uh, Elizabeth has found that strange flower that she can't really place Mm. that uh, she puts it by the bed. 
in a little glass container as it's taken root. She said, oh, it's really strange that this took root so fast. And, um, which, what is it rooting on? That's I know, my, I know. In, a, in a glass cup, what is it rooting to? I guess the, the sides of the cup, but, you know, that's not, you know, that was one thing I was like, what? what? Like, what is it rooting to? I, I don't know what she's talking about there. Apparently she, has, she knows microbiology and stuff, but she doesn't know flowers. Um, but anyway, so she, they put it on the nightstand where Jeffrey's sleeping, and you can just, there's, and this is true of a lot of Kaufman's direction. There's a lot of slow panning scenes, or like slow zooming scenes, or uh, using the soundtrack as, as this scene just kind of expands, and you're just, as the viewer, you're just watching things slowly creep. Um, and I like that a lot because in this scene we get that slow kind of zoom as the the soundtrack is pulsing behind it with, we just kind of zoom in on that mm. flower. There's a flower that we're zooming in on and it's kind of glowing this luminescent and, um, and then it cuts. And then it cuts. That's it. You don't see like later on in the film how the tendrils from those flowers, mm. they kind of creep and suck the life out of the, you know, humans you don't see that. You just kind of see that one initial, oh, shit, there's a flower sitting by the bed, and seems like that might have something to do with what's going on later on in the film. But uh, you don't know until it, it gets further in, and you see, oh, yeah, flowers do have something big to do with it. So um, I really like that. And I, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about those those slow scenes and the long takes, because what did you think? What do, what, what do you think of the slow... I think the cinematography in this is fantastic. Right. And it's... I think a lot of the shots in this film are done in a way that's very, I mean, it was made in the 70s, but it is very reminiscent of what you would see in a lot of 70s films. Just the just the way everything kind of flows and cuts. Like, there's a lot of shots in here, like, you would never see just like, a random POV shot of somebody in the car, like, watching some, like a character run across the street. Yeah. It's, like, little details like that. It's not, like, a big thing, but it's, like, that's something that's kind of, like, like to me, like, is, like, screams, like, a hallmark. Not, like, per, like necessarily. Like, just, like, the imagery that it mm -hmm. sets up. What is, I... is, is what, to me, like... It just it just works and it looks great. It's something yeah. like you would never like again. You just wouldn't see it in today's films. They're not they're fo you know more yeah. focused on like quick edits and quick cuts and all that and not and again like the P like the POV shot on the swing set just like of the guy swinging on the swing set and you see Elizabeth talking about the flowers to the kids like and just just how like and then yeah you it's kind of like setting that voyeuristic watching. There's like yeah, people so, yeah. around you that are watching. Yeah, same thing with the. There's just one scene where uh, Benel is backing his car into a driveway, the driveway of Elizabeth's house, mm -hmm. so that you know uh, Jeffrey doesn't see him. And that's all done from his perspective. Like even the like pulling up, driving past past the apartment. The and yeah, and, and there is and there is a lot of POV yeah. shots of him when he's driving the car. Like you, like uh, because when he went to the. French restaurant and busted them. The way uh, workers threw glass uh, wine bottles at his windshield and broke it. His windshield cracked it. And it's like a constant reminder as you, you see him throughout the film driving his car and it's, yeah. you see the POV shot and you see, you get to see that cracked windshield constantly. Like, it's kind of like somebody's out there watching him. You know, somebody's yeah. out there trying to 
do harm. There's um, then, it's like that slight tension build that I like that because it's also like a fractured psyche because you're looking out through a fractured view. Or like in the be- there's a shot really early in, in the film where Elizabeth goes home and she's talking to Jeffrey. She's reading a book, but the camera only shows the hallway. They're only showing the hallway and her legs in the book. Like that's all you can see. Mm-hmm. And again, that's like a fractured view. Like we can't really see the rest of what's happening in there. But we're kind of a voyeuristic person looking on, and I, I really like that a lot. I, I think that. Kaufman uses those shots to his advantage so that we can really feel that sense of paranoia later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really, it's a really great concept, and certainly those ideas have been returned to again and again. And Envision uh, of the Body Snatchers has been used quite a bit in different films, different stories, as like a you know n- not the pod people per se, but that idea of you know someone's here, but they're they're not the same. You know, they don't, they, there's someone there that's standing there and it looks like the person I know, but it's, it's not the person that I know. Um, but I think that Envision of Body Snatchers does that really well. Even that scene where, um, you know, Ben Al is in the dry cleaning mm-hmm. and, uh, there's, you know, he's talking to the, to, to the one guy and he's like, that is not my wife. It's a, it's a good scene because it just feels very real in that, in that scenario. You know, that he's saying, this is not my wife. And yeah, any other time one person says that to you, you're like, that guy's fucking nuts. Like, but what's wrong with that guy? Yeah, he's ha- like, is he having like a psycho- psychological breakdown? Is he, it's got schizophrenia? Yeah. What, what's wrong with that guy? But when you get multiple people saying the same thing, then you got to question, like, are they really nuts? Or are there people out there that are really changing? And I think that is, in a way, like an allegory to the time period as to like, you know, people started to, it seemed like people were getting um, like emotionally detached from others, especially in cities. You got a lot of people who are emotionally detached, like, okay, you're walking by me in New York city. I'm on the street. I don't care about you and totally ignore you. So as you know, as the cities, cities grew up, New York city was crime infested wasteland at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of like the thinking that you have. And even now, I mean, it still resonates. Walk by people in the city. You don't care about them. Hear about people getting killed in earthquakes recently in Italy. I don't care about them. I don't know them. It's kind of the detachment that you have with, with everything, with the media. It's an idea that I certainly latch onto that I think it has resonance back in the seventies now. It's a paranoia. You don't know. We can use the same thing. A lot of that was about, like, you know, in the 50s, about communism. Yeah, McCarthyism. Scary. Who Who's around us? They could be spies. Well, that's, you could equate that to today, too. With, yeah. Like, with uh, ISIS. ISIS. Who's Ter- around us? You know, terrorism's everywhere. You're right. Got, we got to do, you know. It's the same thing. It's, 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 a, it's, a. Uh, it's a it's, lasting... It's an unnecessary paranoia that's bringing you down. It's a, yeah, it's a lasting paranoia. It hasn't gone away. And I think that people watching Invasion of the Body Snatchers, they certainly can relate to having that feeling. I mean, my dad says it now. He says, like, you know, you just, you just don't know. Go go to Disney World, you don't know. Who's there? 
Is there, you know, who who's there to, that's going to take you down? I know, I, 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 well, I know, I laugh when I hear people say things yeah. like that because um, I go, I'm like, I'm not going to live my life like that. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, um, our friend's girlfriend was saying, like, I'm afraid somebody might come and, like, you know, break into our house or whatever. And it's like, you, you live out in the middle of the woods. No one's, yeah. that or is a fear. No one's actively coming that, to you. That is a fear you should, shouldn't even have. You shouldn't even, bot, like, you know. Don't... Yeah. It's an unnecessary fear that's just weighing you down like, for like, no reason. Like, may, maybe I'm cynical when I, when I say this, but if I, like, like, I would never have that fear, like, well, if you go to Disney World, what if something, ha- like, you know, what if they, yeah. they bomb it or something? It's like, I'm not going to have that fear. But if I was ever there to happen, I might, you know, be like, well, odds that ever happening were slim to none. But that sucks. Chalk that one yeah. up to... Bad luck. You know, <laughs> random acts of God or whatever. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. But it's that's the thing. I mean, with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, that's really what it's getting at. It's like your deep-seated paranoia of other people. And other people are strange, and you never really know who you can trust and who you can't. And in this film, there are people in it that we think we can trust for a while, and we really can't. Like Leonard Nimoy. His character. Uh, we don't even know how long he has been working against our main characters. I almost feel, I think it's probably the entire time. You think so? I, I think he was probably one of the... He did seem like, even in the beginning, and we, Cause he, and cause when we he, first meet him, we don't really know him at all, so there's no. no no frame of reference to really put into perspective his character or how he acts, but he does seem really detached, even talking to that one woman, um, as she's well, trying that, to like, bring her sound, down. Say, well, doesn't that sound like psychology at the time, too? Kind of, yeah. Like, just like... Yeah, that kind of psychology <laughs> probably wouldn't fly now, but he's... You'd basically like, oh, just don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, you think your your husband's not your husband? You just want to escape from your marriage. Yeah. That's I mean, he's what... a hot blooded male. He he just you know he has needs and just give them to him. That's 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 why, you know, you're just looking for an excuse to get out that's of right. a relationship. Yeah, that's, that's 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 why marriages are going to hell. Yeah, that's pretty that's, much that's his the... uh, his uh, ex- excuse for like everything. Like even with Elizabeth, when she's like, "No, Jeffrey doesn't seem like my husband." He she's like, he's like, "Are you just looking for a reason to get out of your marriage or out of your relationship?" And she, she's like. I guess maybe, but, but that does make sense though. Because for her, it does make sense. Because things as you're going on, like you can totally tell as we were talking about, like the chemistry between uh, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams. There's definitely a, a sexual tension there. It's the I, mustache, I, but I, I think it's more coming from. I think Brooke has like a slight bit, but I think it's more like Donald, like I would, you know, if yeah. I if I only asked her out that one time. Yeah. I, she would have been, you know, I would have been with her, but Jeff beat me to it, and, you know, now I just gotta, you know, sit around playing tiddlywinks, like, oh, hi, oh, yeah, yeah. come over, yeah, we'll have, you know, stir-fry, I'll show you how to cut the ginger up. For, for Do you think he's consistently making more stir-fry than's necessary, just in case she just comes to, over? Because <laughs> you mentioned that bottles you like, of Bottles of Pinot Grigio <laughs> are slagging around. Like, you were like, oh, I just happened to make a little bit more stir-fry than was necessary for myself, so here you go. <laughs> I mean, I know stir-fry's made in a big-ass stir-fry pan, but that doesn't mean yeah. I made five days worth of this for yeah. a <laughs> Just in case she came over. He's always making more more food than's necessary. Just in case, you know, Elizabeth happens to come over. But yeah, no, I I think I think um and this is speculation, but I think Nimoy is probably a pod person the entire time. Because it's shown later on when he's saying I be, you know, he's telling uh Donald Sutherland that he believes him and he wants to help him fix the problem. 
you see right after that when he walks away, he gets in the car with other pod people and he says, they yeah. fell for it. Yeah. So. As soon as possible. So, which is kind of weird because the other pod people don't ever show like any type of. That's, that was my one problem is I think Leonard Nimoy has too much emotion in this film. For a pod person. I think he, he you know, if, does if that, that mean, was. As I say, does that mean like the leaders or. I don't like, know. Or, or, like, like he does or certain, like, like or, a leader. Or, or certain ones like, you know. Yeah, because like there was that other guy who's got a loudspeaker and he's like kind of got a little bit more animation than the rest of them. Like maybe they're yeah. worker bees just doing what they're told yeah. and these people have just a little bit more stuff going on. To conduct. Yeah. Like they're the, you know, the, the, whatever. Do you want to call it? Yeah. Public, sir, public assistance or whatever yeah I know, that was my only thing is that Leonard Nimoy does have a little bit if, if they really wanted him to be a pod person from the get go he has a little bit too much emotion earlier on in the film cause Jeff I mean I don't know if you know Art Hindle let's take a look at Art Hindle's career because I don't really know if he's done that much but he does a really good job of portraying like no emotion <laughs> so actually he's had a pretty illustrious career since then working on quite a few quite a few films um none that i really recognize just taking a quick look through here but you know he does a really good job of being like a stone-faced stoic person uh so props to him i guess because it, I guess it would be a little bit difficult to be on screen and have well, maybe, no maybe, personality. Yeah, I was thinking maybe they want Nimoy to be more stoic and whatnot, be like, be like Spock, and he's yeah. like, God damn it, I yeah, am not. I'm I not, am not being like Spock anymore. I, I am, I, I am sick of it. Do you think that was like how much was Leonard Nimoy in besides Star Trek and stuff like that? He, he, um, I think was he in quite a few other things yeah, after he, that. Yeah, because um, I feel like that's gonna be really difficult to to overcome. Yeah, I guess he was. Yeah, no, but I mean, yeah, even back then, because you know, Star Trek the reboots for the the motion yeah. picture was coming out a year after that. So, because I feel like it's hard to not be Spock after that for him. Well, yeah, that's the same. Well, it's the that's, same that's like same his iconic th- character. Well, it's the same that's thing it. with Shatner. Shatner's fucking Kirk and T.J. Hooker. Yeah, and Priceline guy. Yeah, that is true. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's why that's why they killed Spock off in uh, Wrath of Khan because he said, "I am not coming back for this." And what do you, what do you know? He they let him direct the third one, and they, he was like, "All right, I'll come back." Yeah. I also really like in this film the practical effects. Great, they're awesome. Uh, I mean, uh, sure, you're going to find some issues with them, just like any, you know, they were done by hand. Uh, not everything looks great. I, I would say the opening scene of the, like, the alien life form strands is a little cheesy and dated at this point, but... But nah, that fits with the, the original. With though. the original theme. And I do think that, you know, Kaufman does try to stick to the original quite a bit. I think even some of the scenes are straight out of the original, like the guy running into the car and, and you know, saying, they're here, they're, you know, they're here. Um, so he does try to stick with that, and I, yeah, that may be just a throwback, like, oh yeah, you know, referencing the alien race from the, from the um, 1950 film. Um, but I did think that was a little cheesy. But other than that, I think the practical effects, again, are really good, and I would not trade them for any, you know, CGI special effects like that. I think they did a really good job with the bodies. 
um, that look very similar. Especially, like, you know, some of them are people. Some of them look like they are real people playing it. Some of them are props. Um, but I think they did a really good job with the molds and everything. Jeff Goldblum looks great. Again, this is pre The Fly. So, this is before he had all of that makeup inserted on The Fly. Um, he does get to play one of the pod people before they actually become a full person for a little bit. So, that looks good. I like that. I like, uh, I like... Prepping him for Cronenberg. I, uh, <laughs> he's, he, right in this film, he's scrawny. He, yeah, no, like, when they said, like... Cause like he's, like, 6'4 and 170. Yeah, it's like, good That's little. like, that's like underweight. The, the man needs to eat a little bit. Eat, this film. eat a burger, Jeff. That's right. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get to, to Jeff in a minute. Here, save him, save the best for last. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, yeah, I like the practical effects. Um, there's a, there's a cool scene that I like a lot where the pod people are kind of, have, have grown up around, um, Benel and all the rest of the characters as they're sleeping. And he, he takes like this shovel and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm contemplating smashing all of them in the face with the shovel. And, and he can't bring himself. He can't bring yeah. himself to do it, except when he sees himself. And then, yeah. And then he he's certainly able to smash that one all in the face. And that's a good effect. I like that a lot. With it, the, do, yeah, it looks really good. It, no, it does look good. And, and and that's like like just a really cool thing. Like to say like oh like is is that like it's obviously not his friend, but it's almost like oh yeah you know be, well be and i can see him not being hesitant to do it too because he doesn't know what's going to happen yeah. to the other people if he does that to the you know to the body that's growing like will it you know be will it transfer to the real person yeah. will it you know so i i get that i get i get him wanting to like hold off but then if you saw yourself you'd probably be like oh hell yeah <laughs> yeah well let's just do it yeah let's get rid of it um but i like that effect because it makes sense too that the face would be mushier like, you get that when he's smashing it, it's, like, not a real human face. Obviously, you wouldn't, your head wouldn't just, like, cave in from one slash to the face with a shovel. It wouldn't just, like, pull apart like it does with that body. But it's a husk of a body. It's still growing. It's still, like, if I did that to a baby's head, it probably would mush into itself. You know, if I, well, if they, I took they, a shovel. They did establish that the tissue was, like, fetal. Yeah, they said yeah. They had, when they saw, like, the first pod person, uh, Goldblum points out there's yeah. no fingerprints on it. And... Yeah, I could just say, I mean, if I smashed a baby in the face with a shovel, it's definitely going to split open, like, what it did in the invasion of So, I, I'm just assuming, as special effects guys, they first tried it on a baby. <laughs> and then, after, they did, they did a, they made effect into it. So, but I, I, that was probably one of my favorite effects in the film. Besides all the, you know, all the good, you know, the body stuff that they did i like that and the the, the vaginal flowers that they created for <laughs> film which kind of spit out bodies i like that it's good should we talk about jeff goldblum well we should let's get into it um so jeff goldblum he does he he has a secondary role here and i would say that they they don't do a great job of explaining like why he's in it no, he's just there. He's kind of just there. I mean, he kind of is like the guy, he's a writer. He doesn't even seem like he's really friends with, uh... Not really, because it doesn't, like, in the... There's no real introduction to him. He kind of just is at this book, uh, bookstore, where Leonard Nimoy's character, um, is... Doing a book doing sale. Doing a book sale, and, and, you know, a big party, and 
he's kind of like, oh, you know, this book is terrible. I can write much, you know, I, I you know, I, he wrote it real fast and I, it takes me six months to write a, one sentence. And he's like trying to, you know, he's, he's, he's very, he's very, uh, anxious about, um, Kibner's success and his, you know, his lack of success. So, but there's really no introduction between Benel and, and, uh, Jack, besides the fact that he keeps interrupting him on the phone as he's trying to call the police about a couple of bodies. Um, so, but I love it too. He's so, they're so nonchalant. Like every time, uh, Sutherland calls, uh, the police to tell their bodies, like, hello police, I like to report bodies. Yeah, I'd like to report four bodies. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is the guy that just reported the other two bodies. Yeah. You know my name? Yeah, it's Benel. How'd you know my name? I didn't give you my name. You know, well, who else is reporting yeah, bodies? Yeah, you've reported like five bodies tonight. <laughs> we haven't found one of them. So, but yeah, it, it, Jeff Goldblum's character is not really explained that much, but that's okay. I mean, I get it. He's a, he's a struggling writer. Uh, he and his wife run some sort of mud bath thing in the mud bath slash massage parlor. Um, you know, his wife, Nancy played by Veronica Cartwright. She's, she, I like her in this film. She's pretty cute. She doesn't really do much. Like she's, but... she's like, she's like a fun, cute little wife. It's like, oh, did you, did, how'd your book reading go? Did you get to read your poem? Um, so I like her. Yeah, she doesn't really get to do much, and she kind of is always the damsel in distress. But, you know, she's kind of like that, that woman who doesn't really know what to do Though she when is, her husband's not there. No, but that's not, that's not yeah, true. Yeah, that's true, but she survives say, for, like, as I say, she survived, hours she's, walking around. She's the one that... She's the one that understands, like, she'd be the one, like, in a, in a zombie apocalypse who's like, we'll just walk around like the zombies. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, so yeah, Rick, Rick would put her on the A squad. That's right. Here's a here's a sniper rifle. Hope you don't shoot anybody that you're not supposed to, like Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I think that I wish Jeff Goldblum had a larger part, but I was surprised at how big it was. I thought it was going to be a lot smaller. Than that. I thought it, like because I've seen him in in films around the time as this, like The Sentinel. He's in that, but he's like got a really quick, like two minute part. So I was expecting the same out of Invasion of the Body Snatcher. I was expecting like, oh, you know, he's really not going to be in it that much. He he gets like, you know, a couple minutes here or there. But no, I was surprised that he actually gets that big of a part. Yeah, he gets more time than on Nimoy. Yeah, yep. And, and Nimoy gets you know, we said Anne Leonard Nimoy, but when it comes to the trailer, it, they said you know they mention Sutherland, Adams, and Nimoy. No Goldblum. Mm-hmm. But when the credits roll on the film, it's, you know, Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, then Jeff Goldblum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but no, I thought it was great. Yeah, the Goldblumian factor is in full effect. Yeah, but I would say it's more like, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll, we'll start right here. I'm going to say the Goldblumian factor is an eight. I agree. I'm going to say, because it's not, it's not given enough time to really blossom to well, use he, a flower reference, yeah, but he film. he is quirky. Is oh all. yeah, especially in that beginning part where he, he you know he's he even knows that Benal is talking to the cops and he pulls the phone away from him and says <laughs> like I would like to speak to the officer. <laughs> yeah, he, he was like, "What do you need, officer?" or something like that to that effect. And you know, he's the quirkiness is in full force here, definitely. Um, and I enjoyed it. 
immensely throughout yeah. because he has a he does add a lot of great like good humor to this film which is often you know it is dry. it is dark and dry um but at the same time it does has those moments where it adds that humor in so i i definitely enjoyed Globloom because he he lightens the mood a little bit here and there um yeah but i would say it's an eight because later on he does become a pod person so he's forced to kind of it would have been funny if he, if, yeah, if he was like if he was still a, like a the, quirky, quirky pod, pod person. person being like, like yes, come join, I, j- join us. I feel like it'll be. There's no love. There's no hate. There's no pain. I feel come, like, it'll be fun. I feel like they quickly killed him off there because he couldn't be emotionless. Like he couldn't not be quirky. <laughs> so they're like, all right, Larry, we gotta get rid of him. Dart to the back of the neck. Get rid of him. I think that was probably the the biggest difficulty with with having Jeff Goldblum in the film but yes I would say Goldblumian Factor is an eight and definitely if you're if you're a big fan of Jeff Goldblum and I know we do have one listener who is a huge fan of Jeff Goldblum um this is a definitely a film like that you want to watch because he he does get quite a bit of screen time in it whereas a film like The Sentinel or Death Wish (laughs) yeah even though he's listed in the credits he's really going to get a you yeah, can see, you, very, you can see it tell. It's like the machinate, like building towards the fly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, this, yeah, but in this film, he definitely does, has not gotten into the gym yet. No, he has. There's not. one part where he takes off his shirt because he's getting into a, like the mud bath slash massage parlor, and he's like his shoulder blade is like sticking out. It's, very it's, gaunt. Yeah, <laughs> very gaunt in this. And when he said 170, I was like, dude needs to eat. Dude needs to eat. Because, yeah, I mean, most people, like, I'm like 150 and 5'9", so 20 pounds on me, and he's 6'4". Crazy. He's got to be, like, eating, his body's got to be eating itself at that point. Unless he's all just lean. Yeah, he lean no, that, he's there, not. there was no muscle on him that he found. One thing we didn't talk about, and I did want to talk about quite a bit before we ended this podcast is the soundtrack. It's great. I love the soundtrack. I, like, I love the it's f- films like this that make me say if it's like if you're like a horror psychological thriller, you must have a at least a seventy percent ratio of synth track. Well, the other thing about this too is that a lot of times Kaufman is willing to let them that there be no soundtrack, just Which a quiet a- like zoom or whatever it's especially in the beginning of the film there's a lot of quiet scenes that have no soundtrack that's great too i like that and i I love that too like it really sets the tension because you're like not now you don't know what to expect there's no music sting there's no like swelling sting and you're like oh okay something's happening you don't know what's gonna happen there's a lot of that as i say the use of music in this is great because you're right, they do have moments where they opt for no music at all, which is a great decision to make when it's done right, because it builds a great deal of, like, tension and suspense. You know, it's much more effective, if you ask me, like, if you're trying to, like, build, like, paranoia or, like, to a scare, to, like, not have, like, a random music. Because obviously, yeah. that's leading to something. You or know what's coming. Or, or it's there to throw you off. Like, oh, that's, you know, nothing's really actually going to happen. So. Yeah. Bait, you know, like a bait and switch. So, but when there's nothing there, it's purposefully building that like suspense, building that tension. Then you got the synth uh, part of the soundtrack, which is great. It again 
very, as you said, very like John Carpenter. It's, you could say, like, it's like, well, John Carpenter, like, you know, score this? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it, it works great, and they utilize it great. And then by uh, for, like, building to more paranoia and more suspense. And then at the end, they opt for, more, and like, to, like, the last third, they opt for more of, like, a classical uh, type of soundtrack where it's more like, you know, cellos and violins. Yeah. Like... I actually like that one... There's one scene where there's, like, a nice trumpet with a mute in it. I like that. It's like a romantic scene. It's nice. Nice little scene. Tender. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I like like the synth. I like the noise that occurs. There's a lot of, like, like palpitations, like heartbeat style, like, or, like, footstep style thudding palpitations. I like that a lot. Um, there's, uh, a lot of, like, sort of, like, noisy, chaotic moments where they're running from the, the pod people, and there's kind of, like, a drum solo, drum fill thing with, with basically, go like, with, pretty much every instrument. I was gonna say, to go with the loud, like, the, they amp up the sound, too, on the footsteps, yeah. so, like, you hear, like, you know, it's... yeah. Like a stampede, like them running, yeah, from them running away. I would say that's probably one of my favorite parts of the movie is that soundtrack because it's very. I would say that it keeps the viewer within that tense sphere that it that it creates, like the entire movie, really. And even what's really surprising is that the credits have no soundtrack, nothing, just quiet credits. Very not not really, you know. No, normally, you're watching like this really like you watch any movie now, and it's like a it's like a horror movie, slasher movie. Everybody just got killed. Roll credits. Some Rob Rob zombie. yeah. Some rock song comes on. It's like totally drag, inappropriate. Like, drag you, drag you now. Power Man Five Thousand. This is like what it's worlds collide. <laughs> yeah, that was Ghost Ship. <laughs> no, that's Mudvayne. That's Mudvayne and Ghost Ship. <laughs> But yeah, the most. Oh god, that was awful. That's, everybody's dying because there's a giant uh, cable cable snap. slicing everybody's heads off. Now we got Mudvayne. Mudvayne, <laughs> it's a perfect time. <laughs> um, oh, the early two thousands. Yeah, I love that. I love that when there's just totally inappropriate credit music, and with like Trey. Yeah. Totally inappropriate credit music, but this one has none, which I kind of like because it's a very dark ending. It's, which it's, spoilers? I did want to talk about the ending. Yeah, let's so, go. Let's so, go so, so spoilers if um, you haven't seen the film. Yeah. Uh, you are warned right now. <laughs> yeah. So, film's forty years old almost. So, I know. See it if you haven't seen it. It's like this is not a spoiler at this point. It's fucking 40 years old. I know, but still. Yeah. But anywho, I, like, this type of, I'm not saying this type of end, ending is perfect, but I love when it's done and it's done well like it is yeah, here. Yeah, And this ending is, it's a downbeat ending. Oh, yeah. They lose. Every, yeah, everybody, they all lose. Earth loses. <laughs> and, you know, you're expecting in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, throughout the whole thing, um... You know, Benel and and uh, Elizabeth, they seem to think, oh, we can come up with a solution for this. We can, yeah. you know, we're we're biologists. We, we're, you know, we work in public health. We can figure out a way to overcome this, you know, these pod people. There's something that we can do to, you know, snap people out of their 
out of the the stupor that they're in and then it turns out no there isn't <laughs> there's really not you know first we lose elizabeth who succumbs to sleep because that's when they can actually feed on your body and and steal your base what i would assume is like nutrients in your genetics is they, assi- they assimilate from what it looks yeah, like they, yeah. they, assimilate they assimilate them mind and into like a, like the one entity of you know the pod people yeah because they say you retain, like, your memories become part of us. and Yeah. And uh, so they, you know, they can do that when they sleep. So she succumbs to it. But then you have um, Benel who's running away. He, he, he still manages to run away. He kind of understands, okay, I've, I've got to, you know, lack emotion when I'm around them. And he's hiding out under this deck. And you, you don't really know. At that point, it kind of fades out, cuts out. You don't really know what happened to him. And then it comes in, and it looks like he's gone back to work. But he's, he's really just pretending to be you you would think like in like a modern film today you would think like he, oh he's probably pretending yeah he's probably pretending like to that, be and a, he'll, a person. you know he'll you know somehow yeah i was actually thinking not seeing this film that he could be pretending and that he's going to just like blow up that whole part because we know most of the leadership works there like it seems like elizabeth mm-hmm. has taken on a leadership role after she becomes you know if she's born anew mm-hmm. and naked um <laughs> Uh, so it seems like maybe he's going to blow that entire building up or, you know, something. And it doesn't seem like he really understands the the schedule of what they do because he's kind of sitting there clipping his newspapers, as he would do in normal life, mm-hmm. uh, which we see in the beginning of the film. And then all of a sudden, you know, he sees the, all these people lining up to go someplace. And he doesn't really seem to know the formation. Kind of yeah. gets in at yeah. a weird time. He's not yeah. like in line or anything like that. He just kind of cuts in. So you're like, oh, the dude's, you know, he's still like himself. He's just acting. And then the end of it, uh, Nancy, Nancy shows up at, outside and calling his name. And you think again, she's calling his name. She's like, Matthew, Matthew. And you think, oh, okay, he's not responding because he doesn't know if this is a pod person. And he shouldn't really respond to his name like right away. You know, he should be kind of like lackadaisical about it. Yeah, because a pod person wouldn't be like... Yeah, they wouldn't, like, care who's calling his name. They would just kind of turn around. And so he turns around, and Nancy's there. She's so happy to see him. And then he lets out that iconic screech that the, uh... Pod people do when they... When they uh, they, uh, are trying to tell the other pod people that this is one that needs to be assimilated. And then it zooms in, and just for a brief moment, you get the entire... You know, you, you understand what happened with this whole film. It was Donald Sutherland's mustache that did it. <laughs> it zooms in right on that mustache, and you're like, okay, those aliens, they came from his mustache, and they repopulated the planet. That's what I got from it, anyway. But but no, I, like, I, I love the fact that it's that's like such a downbeat, like... Yeah. You're not leaving the theater, like, uplifted. You're like, oh, wow. No. That sucks. No, especially because it ends on, like, that screech, too, mm. which is pretty like weird it's just weird it's a weird screech so and it zooms in on his open mouth and down Sutherland's making a really crazy face so yeah it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty downbeat ending not, you know not expected and i would i was actually thinking this that would, i would say that would be like um them you, you've seen them right yeah that would be like at the end of them instead of the u.s army kicking the ants out of the fucking tunnel and like you know yeah. like we've beaten them but what will happen next it'd be like the ants just slaughter them yeah, and everybody's see, dead and you just see them like on like the, the horizon just like kind of like you know walking to like the next uh you know like 
from Los Angeles to San Francisco they go. End. You know, I was actually thinking, like, it would be kind of cool because we've gotten so many fucking zombie adaptations. Like, wouldn't it be cool to take Invasion of the Body Snatchers and make it into a long-running TV show? Be serv- it would be the same thing as, like, survival-, survival of Zombies, except this time now they're pod people and you don't really know who you can trust at all. Same kind of concept, except th- there's, it would change things dramatically as no, to how they react to yeah, no, you're, situations. No, you're, no, you're right, because the whole, especially like the whole Romero, which is all the zombie f- things now, they're all Romero-inspired with the whole going off the idea of, it's not the zombies you have to be afraid of, it's everyone else mm-hmm. and the paranoia that you get, you know, is built from that. So, yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers could work in that type of, you know, situation. Where... I think that would, I think that would be a cool idea. And they have tried to do it a little bit, just not in a very successful way. There was one called Invasion. There was a show called Invasion. It was on uh, during the same time as Lost, because Lost was really making headway with on TV. And so this was uh, going to air after Lost. And it was about aliens who invaded, and you couldn't really, you didn't really know who you could trust. Uh, it was kind of cheesy, though, and it didn't really, you know, if it was, it wasn't done in the same way as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It didn't really hit those those high notes. It's kind of cheesy, um, so people didn't really respond to it. Although I did, I did like it. I watched the whole thing, um, but it just didn't take off. So there wasn't one. But I do see that there's there's value in it, especially now with The Walking Dead doing so well. You or you could do or a the same similar thing. idea. Or the same thing, you do the same thing with The Thing. Yeah. Because it's, mm-hmm. that's the whole built on... The Thing would the, be a really cool idea as well. I because, mean, as I say, that's the whole thing's built on an alien creature that can shapeshift. Even keeping it in, like, the Alaskan... Uh, the, is Antarctic, it Alaska? Uh, Antarctic. Antarctic, yeah. yeah. The Antarctic setting would be fun, because you don't really have very many shows that are doing that at this time. And it... That in itself creates a very claustrophobic feel within the thing. So that would be really fun to do as a television show. I don't know. Again, though, you, and it, you know, similar things have been done, but you have to do it correctly. Well, you can't I think, just I, think really, that, I think I think I say I think in that case it'd have to be like a short series. You wouldn't. You couldn't make like seven seasons of like yeah, but oh, of them be, doing it of them being in the Why base. Not? Well, because of The Walking Dead. Walking Dead has two shows now that does it. Well, all The Walking Dead has to do is just, if they kill off a character, like, hey, we found this other character that has the same thing, like, five years in the zombie apocalypse. Like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, but same this, thing with The Thing. This is you, hard. You, you could have a season finale where you think you kill off The Thing, but no, it, it escaped and got into somebody else. It'd be really easy to perpetuate that for and for ten seasons, and that's what The Walking Dead is doing. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. I mean, they know what they're doing when they write the script because it's really easy to just keep it going. Well, I know, I know, but like, and I mean, I don't think that would work you, as well with the thing, though. I think I think it could because they would want to make money. I think the better idea would not to be make it that go that long, but. I could see them doing it. And the same thing with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. You could do the same thing. Well, just, it. why not just do They Live Like That then, too? Yeah. Just have, have Roddy Piper's ghost running around, like, I'm in this town now. Oh, shit, there's yep. aliens here. Yep. Why not? I You could do it with the, either of those. You could do it with The Thing. You could do the Invasion of the I Body think, Snatchers. I think Invasion of the Body Snatchers would work better. It's, it's as, as, a, as a long-running series. I think yeah. The Thing would, you know, work probably... And again, that's like like you gotta have like the perfect storm, like yeah, of like like yeah, it has to hit more of the same ideas as Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Like it has to mimic this film better than Invasion did, yeah. which was kind of a cheesier like B 
film style of alien invasions. So I didn't, I didn't, it just didn't work as well, and people didn't really respond to that. Um, well, we like everything. And so actually, serious actually, now. sci-fi is doing it as well with a show called Hunters, but that's a really. It. I watched the first two episodes. Really not good. Wow. So what? What sci-fi original show has been good besides the Tremors TV show? Um, well, Twelve Monkeys is really good. Twelve Monkeys is a really good sci-fi original TV show. So I can't even remember the last time I've tuned into the Sci-Fi Channel. Helix was a fun show. It wasn't good, but it was fun. So there was that too. I know everyone likes those Sharknado movies. Mm, yeah, it's on. They're on four now. They're, I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them either. Actually, I haven't watched them. But. But anyway, uh, anything else you want to add about uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers before we get a rating? It's a really good film. Yeah. I wish I saw it earlier. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it fits right into my preference of horror film. Really. Right in the wheelhouse. That's right. That's right. It does. So, um, out of ten pods, what would you give Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Probably nine and ten. Yeah? I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, I think... I think... Overall, what makes this a very enjoyable film, though I will say the last act does... It drags. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk about that that much, but I did feel that it drags. There's a few too many chase sequences. It's very... Because it's repetitive. Yeah, it's repetitive. And I feel like at that point, the paranoia has dropped out because we know like pretty much everybody is a pod person now. So there's not as much tension in that regard. But with that, that being said, I think... I think the first couple of acts are done very well. The, the building of suspense, yeah. the character building. I think all our main characters in this are great. I love Donald. I think Donald Sutherland's fantastic. Goldblum is always great. Same thing with Leonard Nimoy. He's fantastic too. And Brooke Adams is, you know, she's does very well in this too. And I like the chemistry between them all. Um, soundtrack is great. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. I would say 8.5 pods out of 10, just because of that last act does detract from it a little bit. Um, so 8.5, but... Oh, I didn't know we could give halves. I thought we couldn't do that. Because uh, if I had to give half, I'd probably give it more of an 8. <laughs> Alright, well, but... you can give it a half, so 8.5. 8.5 pods, people. 8.5 pods. Um, you can check out Invasion of the Body Snatchers now, because it just recently released on Blu-ray from Screen Factory. Um, so, that's a collector's edition, too. So, you're going to get the slip cover, which... Most people like, be careful, because they are sharp, and they can give you paper cuts if you try to take them off too quickly. Um, and that comes with uh, a, quite a few bonus features as well, plus a nice transfer. Thought it looked pretty good, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good as well. Um, you know, nice definition, nice uh, nice uh, dark, because there's a lot of dark scenes in this film. Yeah. Nice, uh, you know, contrast with the dark, the dark scenes, so, um, you know, check it out from Screen Factory. You can pick up the collector's edition, and... Uh, get the right now. I think that's probably the best quality that you can get for Invasion of Ice Tentures. So check it out. Um, I will have an official like Moon is Dead World review up on the, the the site pretty soon. So check that out as well. Um, and now we have some you know personal um, social media stuff advertisement to do, like we do at, at the end of every episode. <laughs> um, actually, there's some been some new changes on that front. Um, I want to direct your attention to our new website, which is the uh, which is Blood in Black Rum Podcast dot WordPress dot com. Uh, I created a free WordPress dot com account. 
um, to house all of our uh, podcast episodes. I spent an entire day posting every single one of our episodes so far. So there, it's it's totally up to date. You're going to find everything on there. Uh, you'll find our podcast episodes, which is going to come from SoundCloud. Um, and that's gonna, I'm going to post that the next day. So whenever we record this, it's going to go up the next day. Um, it's also going to have any updates that we have. Like last week, we couldn't record. So I did post a quick update just saying, oh, oh sorry, this week uh, we won't have an episode. Um, so you can definitely check that out. And it's probably your best way to find the newest episodes if you're not subscribed to us on uh, iTunes or a different uh, podcast app. So um, with that said, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, Leave us five stars. Leave us a a nice review. If you don't like us, please don't review us. (laughs) We don't need any one-star reviews up there. Um, Just be on your way. Thanks for listening. Sorry you didn't like us. Um, But like I said, if you do like us, please leave us a review because that helps us get noticed. That makes us uh, uh, more um, excited to do even more episodes. And, uh, with us being on 34 episodes, I misspoke earlier. I said 35. Um, we are, you know, we're pumping them out. So we, we definitely enjoy this and we want to keep, uh, keep making the episodes. So, uh, please leave us a nice review, uh, so that people, more people find us. Uh, we're also up on Facebook, facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast. Give us a like, uh, yeah, you know, certainly discuss our episodes on there. We would love to hear from you. Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at Ryan, R-Y-N-E-T-M-I-A-D-W. And uh, we, we uh, are up there. Martin doesn't have one, um, but I certainly do. And I do respond to those who do, um, you know, tweet us and, and uh, have a discussion with us. So I, I would love to hear from you on there. Um, we also have an email that you can email us with any suggestions uh, for movies that you want us to cover. Uh, maybe you didn't like our review of Suicide Squad and you really want to yell at us. Um, certainly send that uh, that, and we'll put it right in our spam folder. Um, <laughs> it's bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Um, definitely send us a message and I will certainly pass that along to Martin. Or you know maybe if he becomes a little more tech literate, then he can actually access the, the email as well. So... <laughs> Did you have anything you wanted to add? Uh, no. No? Okay. Um, I think that's it. Uh, you can certainly like us on any other podcast software that you use. Uh, say, pretty do, much on there. I was going to say, I do read the comments. So. You do read the comments. So. Yeah, you do. So, um, with that said, uh, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. Probably. Probably next week with another uh, film review. And we haven't figured out what we're doing. I don't think we've talked about it. We had it planned up to this. Like we were pretty good. We planned quite a quite a f- ways out to to do these, but now we we uh, actually have run out of things to do. Maybe I'll come up with something really like out there, really different ben Hur, for us name. to do. No, I was thinking like something like like really different. Like not even anything that I have that I've received for a review, but something that I'm gonna come up with that we can cover. Maybe a shallow film. Yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll head back to that territory. You know, based on our name. And we'll have to have Black Rum with it. Yeah, I've still never seen a shallow, so. You've never seen Asia? Well, no. Have, we, no we haven't we, watched anyone no. take any of them together. No, we haven't done a shallow film. No. Well, no, we haven't done one on here, but I was thinking, have we ever watched one no. together? No. No. 
The closest we've ever come is a spaghetti western directed by a Jiao director. <laughs> That's the closest, so. Um, I don't I don't know. I want to count uh, Once Upon a Time in the West because <laughs> Dario or Jetto wrote it. It's like, it's Jello. Maybe we'll, I haven't cracked into my Synapse um, Steelbook copy of Tenebrae yet. Maybe we'll watch that because that's a pretty. That's a Dario Argento, Argento Giallo. And it's. I think I want to do that rather than Suspiria because Suspiria is pretty well known and it's not really necessary for us to do a podcast on it right now. And, uh, you know, we don't. And it's actually going to be released pretty soon on Blu ray as well. Um, but thanks for listening to us. We'll be back next week. Uh, signing off. We'll see you next time.